Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyo, your host. Before we get into any more of the program today, I want to remind you that there's still time to get in on a wonderful trip, a pilgrimage to Rome, which is May 13th to the 22nd. This is going to be a Byzantine-style pilgrimage. You're going to see many sites in Italy, in Rome, that have to do with the history of the Byzantine church there in Rome. And there is a lot of that, believe me. This is also going to celebrate the Parma Eparchy's Jubilee Year. We're going to be 50 years of our founding, we were founded in 1969, my particular Eparchy of Parma, which is with the Ruthenian Byzantine Catholic jurisdiction. And the Eparchy of Parma, from where this program comes from, our Eparchy actually involves 12 states in Eastern churches. Many of our dioceses, or we call them Eparchies because they're, they're big territories, are just that. They're large territories because we're spread out. So the Eparchy of Parma, which I am connected with, is centered in a town called Parma, which is a suburb of Cleveland, Ohio. But in the Eparchy itself encompasses 12 states. So the Eparchy of Parma was founded in 1969. We're going to celebrate our 50th anniversary. And as part of that, we have a trip to Rome with our bishop, Bishop Milan Locke. That's May 13th to the 22nd. You can still get in on it, but you got to hurry. And to find out more information, go to info at fhorizons.com. Info at fhorizons.com. Again, that's for a trip to Rome, May 13th to the 22nd. A very special trip, Byzantine style. Speaking of Byzantine style, our style of this first Sunday of the Lenten season features icons. In fact, it's sometimes called, well, it has several names. It's called the Sunday of Orthodoxy. It doesn't mean the Orthodox Church. Orthodoxy means true teaching or the Sunday of Holy Images. It's the first Sunday of Lent in the Eastern calendar. And the titles are put together, and it's very interesting as to why. Icons are something that is more than just an art form. They are, it's definitely an art form that's very important to remember. They require all the artistic principles that go into visual art. But also, they're more than just that. 
they were worth fighting for, so to speak. They were worth fighting for. In fact, it happened in the ninth century where icons were finally vindicated in the Byzantine Empire. Imagine, we take that for granted today. What? You, you can't paint images of Christ, the Virgin Mary, the angels? We might think that that's strange, but there was a time, for centuries actually, when there was a heresy called the iconoclast heresy that worked against images. It it came from a false understanding of the scripture, where in the scripture it says in the Old Testament not to make graven images, not to worship false images. Well, it didn't mean what the iconoclast thought it meant. And like all heresies, this heresy of iconoclasm, meaning icon or image smashers, people to actually go into the churches and tear down images, the icons. That is being recycled today in many ways, as many heresies are. Oftentimes, a heresy is defeated through history. We mark those times when a heresy is defeated. Usually, it's pronounced by a council once and for all. A council in the church proclaims what the true teaching is. And the heresy kind of raises its ugly head, but in a different form. And we do have some of that today. A lot of churches today don't have much imagery in them. They think it's some kind of distraction or whatever. That's actually a kind of a recycling of the iconoclast heresy. The Catholic faith, East and West, part of its genius is in fact to have imagery. And this is very important. And this is why we put the two titles together, Sunday of Orthodoxy and Sunday of Holy Images, because the Holy Images do convey to us orthodoxy, meaning the true teaching of God conveyed by the church, the teaching that our God, the invisible God, became visible. In other words, the incarnation. And this is a pivotal event. This is a pivotal teaching in the church. So much so that an entire council is set aside and observed in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. It's the Seventh Ecumenical Council, which also vindicated the use of icons. See, from time to time, this heresy raised its ugly head. So it took really a few centuries to overcome. As I mentioned, it kind of gets recycled. So it's important to put this Sunday before our eyes, and that's part of the wisdom of the church. It teaches us that it is important to understand the value of imagery in the church, especially iconography, because iconography follows certain patterns, or if you want to use the term canons, because what it's doing is it's making visible invisible realities, the invisible realities of God. And as the church conveys that through its teachings and through the scriptures. The icons basically are the Bible and Revelation in line and color, either through a mosaic or painting. And what it conveys is what we are to believe and the way we are to see and therefore to behave. You see, the great genius, the great value of imagery in the church is that it proclaims and affirms and acclaims the reality, the incarnation, which is everything. And here we come to the real value of iconography. Yes, the icons are an instrument of prayer. They convey our prayer to God. They're they're one way of praying. They're an instrument for prayer. But also, it works the other way too. They are an instrument through which the invisible is made visible. As I mentioned, we we acclaim and proclaim the incarnation that God did, in fact, become known to us in large part. Not entirely. We can never entirely know the essence of God. He always lies beyond us. He's incomprehensible in that regard. 
but he revealed so much of himself to us, and that'll be further revealed to us in the next life if we make it, but he reveals himself to us, and therefore we can reveal what he has revealed to us through color, through imagery. In fact, we must, because we are what we eat. You've probably heard that, and that means more than just our food. It's whatever we take in through our senses. You know, God gave us senses so that we would take in God, ears to hear his word, to hear him, eyes to see his glory. And so what we see actually affects how we act. It goes into us and it affects how we respond to life. We internalize what we see. It changes us. It transforms us. This is why iconography is so relevant today, especially as an antidote for pornography. That was pornography is a countervision. It's a lie. It's a false seeing. Iconography can be an antidote for that. It can neutralize that because it is the true way of seeing. And so when it goes into our brain, into our mind, just as pornography can actually affect our brain. It can warp our brains. Remember, we are what we eat, and that means visually too. So too can iconography correct our minds, correct our vision, correct our souls, our very selves. We gaze and feast visually upon what is true beauty, what has meaning, what conveys God to us. So icons, yes, are an art form, but they are so much more than that as well. In the liturgical text and the prayers for this feast of the Sunday of Orthodoxy of Holy Images, we have many profound prayers, as we always do. For example, in the Vespers, we say this, The grace of truth has shone forth. That which was formerly prefigured obscurely is now fulfilled. Behold, the church is clothed as with a heavenly garment by the icon of the body of Christ, which was prefigured by the Ark of the Covenant. She preserves the true faith so that we might keep without blemish the image of the one whom we worship. May those who do not believe this be covered with shame, for we glory in the image of the incarnate word, whom we venerate but do not worship as an idol. O faithful, let us hold it in reverence and sing, Save your people, O God, and bless your inheritance. You know, we do things like stand and put our hand over our heart whenever we do the Pledge of Allegiance or they play the Star Spangled Banner before an event, such as sporting events. And we would expect everyone to stand. As you know, it's a great controversy when certain people have chosen to kneel and protest. Why is it a controversy? It must mean that the flag, that which we look at and face and hold our hand over our heart while we look at it, or when we hear the Star Spangled Banner being played, we stand at attention. It must mean that those things, that music and that flag, make present a reality that actually then influences our behavior. We get up off our seat, you know, put our bag of popcorn down, put our hand over our heart, and we face the flag with a certain kind of reverence or at least respect. It's just a flag, right? It's just a song. No, the flag and the song make present an entire reality that moves us and demands and asks of us respect. Well, if that can happen with a piece of cloth, imagine 
for a piece of sacred art that is done according to a certain canon, done by someone who prays and fasts and lives the life that is reflected in what they're painting, lives the life of the scripture that they are painting in that icon. Imagine the power of that. If a power of flag can change our behavior, determine our behavior, so too, and that much more so, can the image of Christ, the image of heaven, of the saints, of the events in the scripture, influence how we behave. And it does so, first of all, by influencing how we see, how we look at all of life. When we come back, we're going to talk more specifically about how the structure of icons actually influences how we see and behave. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. This is Bold Talk with Father Thomas Loyola. We live in strange times, full of contradictions, many of which we create and then force upon ourselves. An example. To hear the rest of this and other Bold Talks with Father Thomas Loya, visit TaborLife.org and go to the main menu and click Subscribe. You're you're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyo, your host. I mentioned earlier at the beginning of the program, and I'll mention it again, you can still get in on a wonderful trip to Rome, May 13th to the 22nd. All you have to do is find out about it by going to info at fhorizons.com. Info at fhorizons.com. Also, if you're planning on being married in the Byzantine Catholic parishes, any of our parishes, we have a pre-cano program that I direct myself through our Tabor Life Institute. And that's going to be Saturday and Sunday, April 6th and 7th. We'll also repeat it again during the first weekend of October. That'll be held at my Church of Annunciation in Homer Glen, Illinois. The first session, though, April 6th and 7th, Saturday and Sunday, will be held at St. Joseph Byzantine Catholic Church in Rexville, Ohio. That's the Cleveland area. So if you're planning on getting married, you can get in on our pre-Cana program by going to TaborLife.org. That's TaborLife.org. We're talking about the significance of icons on this Sunday of Holy Images in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, also called Sunday of Orthodoxy. The two go together because the Holy Images are portraying the true faith. So the victory over icons is also victory over the true faith and something very, very fundamental about that faith. The most fundamental thing, that God, the second person of Trinity, has revealed himself to us, has become us so as to save us, to reveal God, to make the invisible visible and tangible. And that affects everything. If God has incarnated himself into his own creation, that means every aspect of his creation is imbued with his holiness. We don't have to be environmentalists to respect and love and treat the environment correctly, or I might say sacramentally. 
We just have to believe the incarnation, the reality of it. When we treat a human being, a person, in a way that is dignified, respectful, loving, we do so because of the incarnation. The human person is made in the image and likeness of God, the incarnate God. It doesn't matter what their behavior is. The fact that they're human, they still incarnate God. And so everyone is worthy of respect and love and dignity. We can do that for everything. Even man-made things, man-made structures like the economy or a nation, the way we eat, the way we prepare dinner, the way we do anything can actually have that incarnational dimension to it. In fact, when we do have that vision, we treat those things with a great deal of dignity. In fact, I'll use the term art. There's an art to everything. Iconography is an art, but it also teaches us that everything can be seen as an art. We do everything as an art. In other words, with a certain dignity, a certain flair, a certain quality, a certain mindfulness, no matter what it is. In fact, this is what some of the saints would teach us. Saints like even, well, one of them is well known for this is Saint Teresa of Lisieux and her little way. In other words, she would say things like if you're washing dishes, cleaning a floor, really clean it, really wash the dishes, meaning be present to that action, how it reveals God, how it makes us mindful of God, how it has its own dignity and integrity. And in fact, everything does. Everything has its own dignity and integrity. Everything, from plants to animals to human beings to tasks, even things that are man-made have their own dignity. Many things that we make Things that we create, systems and inventions, styles, ways of functioning, etiquette, the mores of a culture, its rules, its laws, all those things do have a certain integrity to them. And the goal is to respect that integrity because they all in some way, even man-made things, in some way participate in God's creativity in God's incarnation. Yes, they do. Nature does, obviously. Things made directly by God obviously participate in him. But so do man-made structures. Because as we see in the Our Father, we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, everything we do on this earth is supposed to have a certain integrity that in some way reflects the kingdom of God. So we just don't do anything. We do things with a mindfulness, a sacramentality, a class. If You might want to use that word, a class. This is why there was so much royalty in many cultures that were Christianized and many Catholic cultures. Because royalty, although in America we sometimes look askance at royalty, but royalty and some of the empires, for example, the Austria-Hungarian Empire that ruled the church that I come from in Eastern Europe and Central Europe, part of that area became evangelized by Byzantine missionaries. So some of the Byzantine church, especially the Slavic traditions, were ruled by the Austria-Hungarian Empire. That empire was very, very Catholic. Some of its leaders were very devout. But that empire made magnificent things, magnificent art, magnificent buildings, architecture, music, culture. And 
culture is reflective of the kingdom of heaven. Anything that is of a higher quality, anything that is true, good, and beautiful reflects God because God is true, good, and beautiful. And so to do things with a certain class, a certain quality and dignity, no matter what it is, from a magnificent palace or building to a great piece of artwork, all the way to how to shovel snow or clean a kitchen floor, everything has its own dignity. And when we approach it that way, we approach it in a way that contributes positively to everyone's life, to life in general, to society, to civilization. And that all comes from, believe it or not, something like icons, because they give us that kind of vision, a vision of integrity, a vision of balance, a vision of beauty. And in fact, in woven in icons is what's called the golden mean. In other words, it's a formula that the ancients came up with. It's a kind of a mathematical, it's a, it's a ratio kind of formula that actually accounts for making something beautiful. And these formulas and geometric patterns balance and symmetry are woven into how an icon is composed. You know, when you look at an icon, you look at different figures in there and there's mountains or buildings and so on, but all of it is very strategic. It follows certain proportions. It makes the eye move in a certain way. There is an emphasis on both the negative and positive picture planes in the icon. In other words, the negative space, what you don't see right away, but also what you do see right away, the positive space. See, when you look at a picture plane, there's a negative and a positive. And icons work that in a way to achieve a certain balance, to communicate a a certain principle or sense of that icon, of the theology. The way the figures are placed, usually there is basically two realities, a hieratic one, in other words, the one of heaven, and the earthly one. If you look at many icons that have a number of figures in them, such as Jesus Christ, but also with apostles or angels, or the Blessed Mother, again, with other people, you know, lay people, the apostles, when you look at those icons, you'll see there's basically two parts to them. There's many parts, but two basic parts, a hieratic and a narrative. In other words, the hieratic is the part that doesn't change. You'll often see Christ in the middle of the Virgin Mary, very static, especially icons with Christ. For example, the icon of his ascension or his transfiguration. Christ is very frontal, very static in the top or center of the picture plane. But beneath him or surrounding him would be the human beings that are not also divine. Jesus was human also, but also divine. But just the mere humans, like the apostles or other people in the picture. And usually there's movement there. There's an indication of movement. In other words, it's an unfinished event. There's something that is happening that's not finished yet. I mean, the painting is finished, but the motion, the action is not finished yet. Because, as metaphysics teaches us, God is perfect being, so he cannot change. He does not change. He doesn't have to change. Everything else that's not perfect, that's not of God, is always in the process of changing, of becoming more and more perfect. So that is indicated in the icons, in just the way that they have Christ or the Virgin Mary more static, hieratic, or, and in contrast, the narrative, where there's much more a movement, a sense of unfinishedness. Like, for example, at the transfiguration of our Lord or at the ascension in those icons, we see the apostles, it's like they're trying to figure something out. They haven't arrived at this mystery that they're beholding as to what it really is. 
So their hearts and their minds are in transition, whereas Christ is static for the Virgin Mary because they are already set. They are already perfect. Iconography has so much to offer us, especially in our world today, where we need to restore and recover that sacramental vision, that vision that teaches us about balance, integration, peace, harmony, transcendence, and imminence. The church, very wisely, and in ways that are very relevant for us today, puts before our eyes the true faith through the imagery of the church. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit byzantinecatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. to EWTN for inspiring Lenten programming. This is Father Thomas Petrie, Godly Counsel on Morning Glory. Lent is a time of spiritual renewal when the church journeys with Christ, who is both God and man, and in his humanity can suffer, can be hungry, can sacrifice just as much as we can, in fact, even more. So during this Lenten season, we give things up in our penance to journey with him. We pray more to come closer to him, and we give alms so that, like Christ, we can offer something up for the poor, Christ who offered himself up for us. During this Lenten season, all of us at EWTN Radio are praying that you have a holy and blessed season to grow closer to Christ as we prepare for the Paschal celebration. Lenten programs now through Holy Thursday on EWTN Radio and TV. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!